0: welcome to the evolution exchange nordics podcast at evolution we're committed to helping people and nordic tech organizations to realize their potential our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals building trust and make doing business easier i'm josh asquith from evolution recruitment solutions and today i'm your host today i'm joined by adina of electrolux tommy of if insurance and rui from ikea today we're discussing the creation and driving of high performance bi and data teams part two Before we delve into this topic, though, it'd be really nice to work our way around the room and let's get some introductions. Let's discuss a little bit of who you are and tell us your passions. Uh, Tommy, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Thanks,
1: Josh. My name is Tommy Rydell. I'm the delivery manager for the BI reporting team at IF Insurance. My professional passion is uh, working with people, helping uh, people out, uh, making them better at what they do. And my uh, private passion is food uh, so and beverages, uh, mixing, you know, uh, food uh, from different countries and uh, making
0: some cocktails and, and beer as well. Brilliant. Thank you. Riri?
2: Hi, I'm uh, Huing. I'm a, a head of data and analytics for the delivery and services subdomain in Ikea. Um, yeah, my passion is also working with people. I think that's kind of what lends us in this uh, in this management type of positions. Uh, I think one of the good things is, is you always want to be the the best manager for your people, and if you had bad experiences in the past, you don't want to be that that type of person. Uh, and I'm very technical at heart, so at least my personal stuff is a bit. Techie and uh, uh within IT as well. Um currently hobby of mine is uh been working a lot with 3D printing. Um uh, and I'd like to do some uh, coding on the side as well.
0: Cool, thank you. Adina?
3: Hi everyone, Adina Monishore here. I'm the head of data and analytics product organization for electrolux. A bit about myself. Um Obviously, also here too because um, I love working with people. I have been uh, passionate about this my, my entire life since I was in school. Uh, but one uh, true passion about um, about the work, about my professional life, is driving change and fostering innovation. Uh, to use it to create actually a positive impact on the organization, on the people, and on yeah, on the outside world as well. On a personal level, when I'm not working on data, um, I am super passionate about psychology and, what, and understanding what motivates us as human beings. Understanding how the brain works and how how we can work it with our brain to become better, better people, better manager, better friends, and so on and so forth.
0: Brilliant. Thank you all of you. Hi everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Now that we've understood a little bit more of who we are speaking with today, um, we've all brought some questions regarding the topic that we're discussing today. So everybody has their own question or problem statement that relates to the creating and driving of these high-performance BI and data teams. Um, Tommy, would you like to give us some information about your question?
1: Sure, so I'm thinking about uh, how we build trust in, in, uh, in team, um, as I believe that is one of, for me, one of uh, key uh, components to building a, a, a team that, that is highly performant and, and uh, a team that feels comfortable working with uh, each other. Uh, so my question is about how do we build Trust in in a in a good way and and uh, how do we what, what happens when this trust breaks down What can we do about that?
3: That's a it's a really good question there, Tommy. Um, I think the best way to build the trust is through communication and transparency, being open and being honest about what's happening. And especially since there are quite a few changes that are happening around us. I think us as a leader to gain the trust of of our teams and also be the role model for them as well to kind of advertise the same behavior within the team among themselves Mm -hmm. is 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 to be as clear and as honest as possible within within the, the messages that we we are we're transmitting to them being consistent and to give an example here um it's i think it's absolutely fine to say i don't have the information but I'm going to come back to you when I have it. Or the other way around, if we are involved, if we know there is something that we cannot communicate yet to our teams, I think it's really safe to say, I am involved, I know more, but at this point, I'm not at liberty to give you more. And I think through that, the teams appreciate way more and they they trust us, they they have the confidence that actually we are going to come back rather than saying, you know what, I, I don't know anything. And one day later, actually, the whole <laughs> the whole truth come, comes out. Um, And that's more from a behavior perspective, but I think there are a lot of things that we can do um, from a structure perspective, from the role perspective. So bringing clarity to the roles, um, that's another thing that I think it's important and again, motivates the people um, to to, to, to do their work and to to trust the organization, to trust us as, as leaders. Collaboration, and I think also here we need to walk the talk. If they see us collaborating well with other organizations, other departments, they're going to follow, and they're going to trust the other people that they are working with to, uh, to do their part. Um, and yeah, it's going to, to reduce the conflict within the team. It's going to reduce the frictions between departments. And one last thing I would say, it goes um, about um, how much empowerment we give to the people. That also is, is one element that builds the trust. We need to give them the chance to rise up to the challenge and be there to support them, make them feel safe about making a mistake and tell them, yeah, it's absolutely fine. And actually, again, walk the talk, ensure that they, they uh, even if they make a mistake, even if they, they, they don't do the, the things perfectly, we are there to support them. We are there to, to guide them. And I think all of this together, plus many, many more, let say, small things add up to, to building the trust.
2: Yeah, some some good points there that that I like to to also uh, go over. I agree completely. In the I think communication and transparency is the is the one of the most important uh, parts. And uh, as Dino was saying, is if you cannot say, you tell that you cannot say. But if you can share, you share. I I have a, a way that I uh, like to explain to my team uh, how this type of communication works. Is unlike the the one that we see of uh, all the movies and all, all of the top secret stuff, is the uh, cannot uh, you don't need to know basis, right? So you, you never know the information unless you need to know. Uh, my approach is different, is you cannot know basis. So you will only not know the information that you cannot know. And then there may be many reasons I cannot know because... Some things are being discussed under an NDA and you still don't have access to that NDA. It could be that, um, yeah, some information is not yet ready to, to be shared. So I think it's it's important to give um, trust to the team that you, you will share whatever you can share, right? But uh, I would like to also touch upon another point of also building trust within the team, which is sometimes a bit contentious, uh, which kind of goes back to uh, an old tweet from uh, from uh, Mr. Musk uh, that uh, managers in a technical field should have uh, at least some technical knowledge. Um, and I think it's very important for your team to understand that you know what you're doing, especially in a very very niche space like data, uh, because Most of us have been there, even probably juniors haven't been there, but if you have been in IT for like three, four years, there is a very high chance that you got involved with a manager that had no idea what they were doing. And if they don't have any technical knowledge, um, discussions like why do you even need test cases could could come up, right? Uh, And I think it's important for your team to to trust that you at least you don't need to be the best, but at least you have some level of technical understanding of what is happening. Uh, what is happening there? And for our case, it's like at least you need to be able to read SQL, <laughs> something like that. That's uh, that's at least my feeling. Yeah,
3: not agree there more. Um, and I think it's uh, it, it has been a controversial topic over the last years whether a leader should be having or not having the technical skills in 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 this field and i i absolutely believe that yes it should it should have we need to be able to understand our people we need to be able to understand what they're doing be there even to the point in which we need to get our hands dirty if necessary
1: yeah thank you for your input to to my question and i i couldn't agree more uh, with you guys Uh, for me as well transparency is really I I believe that you know having transparency is 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 very important uh, not to you know f- make everybody feel like it, uh, we're hiding something or, or similar you know uh, at the same time um yeah the tech understanding uh, as you said we uh, I I know I've worked you know in projects where I had project managers not understanding what we're doing and they have always failed <laughs> that that is my experience so i think the same goes for for a leader not not only in the project but but working with with the team where you're responsible for the people you you work with right um i also believe that uh, giving mandates to people uh, is quite important so that they feel like they are part of the journey they feel like they have uh, the ability to you know uh, make things the way they believe that they, it should be done uh it kind of goes back to what you said adina with the empowerment i guess uh, you know uh, so yeah i think all very very valid uh topics to to this uh question i think thank you
0: so those are some really, really interesting thoughts on kind of how we do, has, how as leaders, you can build trust in your teams. One of the things that it got me thinking about whilst listening to, to your thoughts is what about from the other side? Trust has to go both ways. So as leaders of people, what, what so it we almost, we're talking about the expectations here. What can team members do to build your trust? as opposed to you, um, because we've already spoken about what you can do to build trust with your team members.
1: I mean, of course, we are always work towards a goal, right? Uh, there are some type of deliveries that we need to uh, deliver it by the end of the day and, and so on. And Of course, one easy way to, to build trust is to actually show that you're able to deliver what you were asked to do, right? But that is maybe the easy part of doing it. I also believe that, you know, taking some responsibility yourself and, uh, you know, showing like, hey, what about this? We can do it this way or, you know, uh, saying like, I can do more or, or you know, just speaking up about your thoughts. I believe that that gives a lot of trust uh, for me, at least to, to that person seeing that he's or she is willing to you know uh, basically do things that i've not asked about but just by 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 yourself right
3: so yeah in in, in my case and i agree with you there tommy what i would add from from my perspective is keep your promises and if you cannot keep your promise come and ask for help i always appreciate someone who comes and says hey I, i will do this by by this deadline and if you cannot come back and say, well, for X, Y, Z reasons, I cannot keep my promise. I cannot keep my deadline. And I think that's where our role as leader comes in because that's when we can step in. That's when we can support and ensure that we give all the help to the project, to the person and and so on and so forth. I would always appreciate more that even if we're missing the deadline. And one of the things that I'm, I'm telling to everybody in my team is there's nothing you can do to 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 break this to a level in which I cannot help you to fix it and I think that gives a bit of comfort on their side and gives them the 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 trust that they can come back and hey I I don't know how to do this or I made a mistake or wh- whatever the reason of not being able to deliver good, good points
2: there um, I I like to always go back to to an old quote that I that I heard from um, Steve Jobs which is we hire smart people so they can tell us what to do, not the other way around. Maybe I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And that that's how, at least in my team, you can win my trust. Uh, I'm not the manager that is going to tell you what you need to do. I'm going to tell you where we need to go. You need to tell me what needs to be done for that to happen. Uh, you need to tell me when there is a problem because... I'm not there to see it. Like if you have a team of 15, 16 people, it's impossible to be on top of everything at all the time. Uh, so you win the trust by doing the same thing that we do. Don't keep things from me. If you see there is a problem coming, tell me there is a problem coming. Um, tell me what we need to do to solve that problem and of course my my role here is to to help you out maybe you don't know how to to go forward with that that's okay we can brainstorm together maybe you don't have uh, uh, the technical skills the soft skills or even the um, let's call it the power to 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 deal with the problem that's okay we are together we can we can find a way to do it but you guys are smart cookies uh, just tell me what needs to be done, and we can go from it.
1: Yeah, I think you have a point there with um, saying that we're not there to tell you what to do. We're there to help you with the direction, right? And I think that that is really the key to to uh, the, the manager job. We're there to manage, not dictate, right? and uh, i don't want to be the 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 person that dictates what what uh, what you should do uh, although from sometimes you will need to maybe to go into details and that i think is fine but you need to you know keep the perspective from the higher level and and yeah, not, not be the, the dictator saying, like, you should do like this and that, but, you know, help by maybe asking the right questions back to, to the team and let them come up with a solution and
0: stuff. That is, I think, very important. Awesome. Thank you all very much for for that learning. Yeah. Um... And I think that kind of brings us nicely into our next question that is brought to us by Adina. So Adina, would you please tell us about your question?
3: Absolutely. I did mention in the beginning that I'm passionate about um, driving the change and, and driving innovation. But this is a quite of a of, of a challenging thing as well. Um, mm-hmm. Over the last few years, I have been in, in organizations that have changed every six months, every 12 months, I think the worst I had four times in a year, which can be very hard on the teams, which is why it kind of made me think of the following question. In in, in this fast-paced changing world where the organizations are changing on a constantly basis, how can our data team stay ahead of the curve, uh, still work on the exciting but yet relevant value-adding topics for the organization? And what should a leader do to keep the level of trust uh, in the strategy, in the direction of, of of the team, of the company? Keep the motivation up and minimize the change fatigue within our teams. we Would love to hear your thoughts.
2: So one of the things that I that I think about uh, on that, uh, I think uh, when so for a, a small time besides data, I was uh, an engineer manager for a software engineering team. Um, I stepped a little bit outside of data for a while, and one of my senior software engineers. Um, It was very peculiar about the point is you need to really dominate the fundamentals of software engineering. It doesn't matter what what we are doing, if it's microservices, if it's monolithic, if if it's migration, if it's Go, React, JavaScript, Python, it doesn't really matter. As long as you know the fundamentals of software engineering, you can do most of it. You need to really drill down on the fundamentals and i think that's the same thing within data because change change is constant right is it's always happening that that will never change um but there is always like some shiny object on the horizon uh, it's now it's the llms uh, a while back, it was, uh, I don't know, the hand and uh, there's always a shiny thing that tries to move us uh, into that direction. But I think the most important part to really drive change is to focus on the fundamentals. Having a solid foundation of data that then these things can um, branch out from, uh, I think it's very, very important because what I see happening is uh, you focus on the top, you want to do the cool stuff, the, the high value analysis, the, the machine learning, you want to start to doing your LLM with all the data that you have, and uh, it could be Confluence, could be SharePoint, it doesn't really matter. But then the base of it, the base data, it has, it has no quality it's not structured properly there's no qualities all over the place and then these things will never work they will just keep on bumping and then people will blame ah it's the transformation uh, is insert problem here when in reality the foundation was never there so the building on top was never strong so i think that's kind of the the what comes to mind uh, to me when uh, when driving change is really focusing on the on the fundamentals
1: yeah, I, I believe, um, I mean, change is kind of uh, out of our control when it comes to organizational changes. So we kind of have to adapt to it, even if we don't always like it or or maybe we don't always believe in it fully. But I think it's important for us as, as leaders to at least try to understand, you know, the, the other point of view. For us to be able to give the team some kind of clarity and and uh, and uh, give them some confidence that this change might actually be a good thing, and not because a lot of people always think that change comes with something bad, but change doesn't have to be bad. It's it's just it's just a change. It can be good. It can be bad. But when I think it's important for us, when we talk to our teams, that. We give them some kind of confidence that this might be a good thing, and, and kind of they have to feel, I think, that we stand behind this change. Because if we don't, how can do they do it? Uh, it's not always, uh, you know, very clear. I think that that we should stand behind it, but we have to give it, you know, at least a try. Um, and uh, I think that, um, yeah, it's, it's important for us to kind of protect the team as well, uh, in the sense that, you know, uh, going back to being transparent, tell them what you know, tell them what you can tell them, uh, and if you can't tell them everything, that's fine, but at least be as transparent as you can be.
3: No, amazing. I think um, I, I could not agree more with, with, with the points that you made. I think setting up the foundations, um, it's, it's, it's a hygiene factor at the end of the day. Otherwise, we're building a house on a very shaky ground. So no matter what you're going to, to put on top of it, it's going to, uh, to, to fall. Same with, with clarity and confidence. I think you as a leader have to be a believer, first of all. You need to understand why the change is happening. You need to be able to explain it to the team and you need to show that you yourself are trusting the direction and you're trusting the change. This, they, they have to be in place. And in addition to this, what what I have been thinking and trying to, to, to crack this nut is... Um, how to, to to keep the the focus on the work and remove the noise on and the panic around all oh, the organization is changing and i'm going to have a safe job and how is this going to impact me and i think there are a few things that proved to be working in in my case uh, at least for now it's to continue the focus on continuous learning um, and the skill development give people um, the tools and the, the means to to become better and we become um, not just better at what they're doing, but also um, becoming the, the, those individuals that can operate in uncertainty. And I think this is even more critical nowadays, nowadays. Decision-making in a world in which we don't have all the facts, we don't have all the the the, um, uh, the variables in the equation, it's a survival skill, I would say. It has become a survivor skill. It allows us to adapt, it allows us to, to respond quickly, it allows us to be um, agile and not get stuck into that fear and panic, what am I going to do now? I think the other thing is is um, around breaking the silos and myself having to, to go through change with uh, with the team and with the structure of the organization, I realized the less dependency we create on the overall company structure, the better. And that, by that, I don't mean that we need to operate in, in a complete isolation, not at all, on the contrary, but actually link structure of the of of the team of of the data team to the data domains because though they are not going to be changed it doesn't matter what the organization name is going to be how we're going to be split across different departments at the end of the day that data that we have today in the company will remain we we will still have sales data we will still have hr it and so on and so forth doesn't matter how we, we call it and yeah communication transparency i I know, but I can't. I cannot tell you now. Or this is all I know. Or I'll come back when I when I have more. And last but not least, which is also a topic that we seem to maybe forget from time to time, is the well-being of our people, which is we need to to, to be to pay attention to how they feel. And depending on the individual, they react. They go fast through the through the change curve, or actually they get stuck in, in and they get into panic. They get into burnout. I think we need to pay really close attention to those individuals that are at risk.
1: Yeah, I think you have a valid point there with uh, paying attention to the people. We're all different and we all, uh, you know, uh, handle things in a different way. So it's very important that, that, you know, we adapt not only to to the team, but also to the individuals we work with. And, and, you know, uh, some ways of telling things might work for one person, but that doesn't mean it's always the same way that works for everyone, and we need to, I think, be very uh, understanding of that, and and really adapt to it, and, and listen to what the individuals we work with actually needs from us. It's not easy, but <laughs> I think it's 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 important for us to to do it to have a happy
3: and yeah and we, we all say that we should tailor the message when we have to sell something to our stakeholders when we have to get their buy-in we always say that we need to tailor our message to the audience is the same with our teams we need to tailor the way we say the message to each individual that we have in the team same principle applies so
0: with regards to one of the latter points in that um that some people may be stuck in the change curve a little bit and be at risk of fatigue and burnout if people don't reach out as managers going through this change at the moment, is there a way to identify those people?
3: One of the practices that I have with my team is at the beginning of each team meeting, I asked what's your energy level from a scale to one to five and what's your enthusiasm level. That gives me an indication and collecting data also we're in the field, why not using it? Why not using our own, our own tools? Collecting data over the weeks to see, is there anybody shifting from one to another? And even if, they say, for it, we usually have video conference calls or face to face, so you get to see if their message and their face, their behavior, their body language match, and paying attention to to how that goes.
2: Yeah, I
1: think for for me, it's uh, I try to have uh, one on ones with uh, my team members as often as possible. Just you know, a casual talk uh, for five ten minutes, uh, and when. You know, as you said, not everyone maybe speaks up uh, when we announce things in, in, in the big forum, but that's my opportunity to take, you know, uh, uh, just a short discussion with the person that I'm sitting with and asking, so how do you feel about this uh, big announcement? You know, give them the opportunity to talk just to me, because maybe they don't want to share in the bigger uh, forum. So uh, I think, uh, yeah, having separate discussions, asking, you know, how how are you? What do you think is quite important? It's, we don't always have time to do it, but I think we should try at least, you know, to have it as often as possible.
2: Yeah, go, going on the, the point that... Uh... That Tommy was saying as well. I think one of the important touch points is the is the one on ones. Um, so the, the way I've done it with with my team uh, team members is either we have it every week or we have it end, every other week, uh, and it's up to the team member to to decide. But they 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 prefer. Uh, but it falls back to to our first uh, question which is about trust within the team, right? If the person themselves don't trust you, uh, they will not uh, tell you that they are feeling a bit uh, a bit bad or that, that they are having an issue or that they are not happy with a certain situation. Um, and especially nowadays with, the, with being remote, is way easier to fake it. If you really want to pretend that everything is okay, right? You just just need to smile for the camera like uh, once in a while. Uh, and if you really don't trust your team members to be to be vulnerable and to be real, uh, it can ha- uh, it can happen. Uh, so I think. It, it goes back to the, the first question. Very important to, to establish this relationship of trust within the team and within the company as well. Uh, I think there is also a role there to be to be played by uh, HR or people in culture to, to make sure that you have the, the right uh, places. So even if you don't want to go directly into team, because sometimes it's it's easier to speak to a complete stranger than to someone that you know. Uh, for some problems right so that those uh, channels are open there then there may be a an email address that you can reach out maybe even an external company that is not connected with your company that gives you the safety of your company may never know about it right so having those those things in place um, I think it's uh, it's good and they could really improve on that
3: yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. It, it comes down to the trust. But I do want to bring a challenge there, though, because if we if we think well, we're talking about human beings, and we know even if we trust the people that we're working with or the people that we have around us, our personality and our, our the way we are designed have, that kind of will dictate how we are going to react to a certain situation. So it's flight, fight, or freeze. And the reality is that there are people that freeze. There are people that even if they trust everybody around them, as we said, they are not going to speak up. It's not because they don't um, they don't believe they're going to be heard, or it's not because they they don't feel comfortable. It simply is the way they are. They are close people, and they're not going to come and say, "Hey, I'm 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 uncomfortable. I'm not feeling well with this change," but that's going to eat them inside. So how how do we deal with those individuals?
1: Yeah, I think you have a point. Uh... And, I mean that that's it's hard to again to to adapt to to everyone and try to make the message clear for everyone. So for me it kind of goes back to these one on ones uh, if if they can't speak out, if they freeze in 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 uh, you know uh, the bigger form, then try to at least talk to them in in a smaller form and, and see if they can, open up there uh, that I think that that's for me that that's at least uh, one thing you can do to try to make them open up and again that doesn't have to mean that they will uh, but giving it the chance uh, is at least a step towards helping them I think
3: yeah I think you're, you're right there Tommy and um, open up yourself I think it's it's absolutely fine as a leader to say, I'm scared as well, or I feel uncomfortable as well. However, these are the reasons why I think this is a good thing, why this will lead us to a better way of working, to a better collaboration, to a better job altogether. I think we need to open up. We don't need to be the hero. We need to be a genuine hero.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you're onto something there, because uh, not long ago we had this leadership uh, uh compass uh, at, at work and one thing that i r- really took with me is you need to lower your walls uh, you need to start sharing because when you share you open up something where they feel that they are comfortable with sharing as well so i think it's
0: you have a very valid point there uh, yeah awesome well thank you so much for sharing there and for exploring the further questions that was really interesting to me and i'm sure to the listeners there's lots of people going through lots of change at the moment it's a super relevant topic and it's a super challenging topic also um and we have our final question that is last but is certainly not least um, from Rui. So, Rui, would you please tell us your question? Sure thing.
2: So, since this is the evolution podcast, I thought about it the evolution of data over this uh, last couple of years. So, my question is um, Are we performing uh, as high performance teams or uh, as yeah, high performance teams now uh, with the current setup of roles where we have data engineers, data analysts, data scientists, which seems like everyone is specialized in a very specific part of the whole data process. Um, Or were we a bit more performant in the old days of business intelligence, when you would have a business intelligence developer that you basically do almost everything, from the data modeling, to the data engineering, to the data analysts, to the reporting, to all of that. So my question here is, are we losing skills by getting more specialized and uh, becoming maybe less T-shaped? Or are we becoming more performant by focusing on one part of the process that we like most, because sometimes the data analyst doesn't really like data engineering and vice versa so yeah this is uh, this is kind of the conundrum that i have for you today
1: and i think it's a very valid question but i i actually do believe it's a good thing to separate certain things because from my experience it, it kind of makes the team work better more in sync in in the way that you have specialists in frontend you have specialists in backend or or you know you can break it down even more as you're mentioning but we're all different that we all have our specialties and and i think that that uh, that comes back to to this point where i think it's it's actually a good thing to separate certain things where you can do great things here but maybe you're not so great in different areas but then you can focus on your good areas. And but I do also think that it's important for everyone to understand the full cycle. You know, understand all the way from where the data comes from, through modeling it to you know creating the visualization. Because in that way, I think I do believe that you actually can perform better in your specialized area as well. And and. I think we mentioned it before, uh, also, uh, it comes the same goes for us managers, right? We also need to understand the full cycle so that we can support our team in a better way. Um, and I think it's also important for us managers uh, to, you know, break down our role. Because even though we should understand the technical parts, I don't believe we have to be the best at it. But there are people in the team that are. So maybe we need a tech lead, maybe we need a scrum master, you know, we can't do all the parts ourselves because that will just become messy. Uh, And we don't have time to, you know, dig into the details as maybe a tech lead would do or data analyst or or whatever your role is. So I I do believe that it's actually a good thing uh, splitting up in, in different areas?
3: Yeah, I think it depends. Uh, and it depends on the complexity and where you are on the matur- maturity journey with, with your team. The way I like to see it is like a two in one shampoo. It does the trick. Yeah, it is going to wash your hair. It is going to, to hydrate your hair. But is it going to give you the results that you want? Probably not. So if you are at the beginning of um, of the journey as a as data analytics team, you won't have budget. You won't, You will have simple use cases. And actually we you cannot afford to have a full specialized team. So you might have to hire one or two individuals that they will be the two in one, they will be doing everything end to end. But actually if we're talking about driving transformation, driving high performance data analytics teams, we have to differentiate, we have to have specialized because it's all the only way we can actually build uh, a true data-driven organization if you have it like that. And I think instead of focusing on what are the benefits of having this, what I want to to highlight is, is the opposite. What is the cost of not doing it actually? What is the negative side? And I think one of them is it's the the high negative impact on the collaboration and on the trust. Since we were talking about this before, if we have every, if everybody knows what they're doing and we have specialized roles, then it's like everybody works like a, 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 a cog in, in the machine everything is smooth yeah we trust each other there is um, not so much time spent in the handover there are not going to be delays and and those let's say first that might come with with yeah, as, as an argument of not having um, um all in one i think the quality of work is affected highly if if we have everything in one and I myself, I started my career being a developer, and I was a developer doing everything. I was the one building the database, I was building the interface, I was the one refreshing the, the reports and the dashboard doing everything. And sometimes I had really challenges in, in deciding which one is the first I need to do because everything was urgent. And the only person that I, I had to rely on was myself, which had, I, I had a high level of stress. Some people can get close to burnout if, if, if these kind of ways of working are, are prolonged. So it's from from a time management issue, it's yeah, it, it it can be take a toll on 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 the team. Adaptability and the, the slow pace in learning are the ones that are affected as well. So that's another cost that we we are going to pay if we if we go for all in one because we we are expecting one or two individuals to learn and to progress in so many different topics. And they all have 24 hours, like we do, and they need to sleep. They need to eat. They need to spend time with their families. They won't have the time to become the specialist in everything. So they're just going to know a bit of everything, which will serve us on the short term, they, they might help us, let say, produce some of the, the the products or projects for immediate, but on the long run, that's
2: not
1: sustainable. I I want to point out the the first thing you said like, I, and I agree with it, that I think in a team, you need to grow into it, you know. Creating these separate roles because I, I recently did this journey with my team, actually. And, and I would say that it, it was completely impossible to split up in different roles where we started because we wouldn't be able to deliver. And it comes back to this trust, as you say you know, you need the trust to be able to deliver something good. and And when you have the trust, then we can start separating certain things and, and you know, seeing like, okay, but you're good at the front end, so you can work with the front end. But you trust that you have a person working in the back end, delivering what you actually need So, yeah, I completely agree with the, it's a maturity thing. We, we need to mature into it. But once we're there, I, I really believe that, that it gives great benefit. Uh, in, in separating.
3: Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great mechanism to, um, to raise the motivation within the team because you can design the career paths for the individuals and they can do job rotation. Today you are working on the visualization, but maybe your dream is to become data engineer. So there is a possibility for you to do that. And then the, this variety in, in, the, in, in the work and the options that you have to grow within the company reduces the risk of the people to leaving the company, going for, for something outside. Yeah, so so those are
2: really good points, and I think we maybe we arrive full circle almost in the in the three questions in in one one part because in essence we are talking about something that was a, a driver of change within our industry, right? Uh, which also follows within the maturity of data as an industry, which started as there wasn't that much that needed to be known. You needed to know data modeling, a little bit of ATL, and if you could build a report, it was good enough. Um, and at the same time is being able to to split the, the work and trusting that the rest of your team is able to pick up that work, that the engineer will engineer and the analyst will analyze. And that elusive unicorn of the full stack developer that almost doesn't exist, also doesn't exist in data anymore because it, the industry has changed so much. We, A scientist that knows machine learning is going to be way better at it than someone that is really good at data modeling. And each one of these parts require so much knowledge now and so much effort to make it be good that you cannot just focus on everything at uh, at the same time. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it's kind of where <laughs> where we end up into into these three roles. Which maybe in the future, who knows? Maybe more roles will come up. Which is uh, it's better than the the jack of all trades and master of none.
1: Yeah, you you mentioned the 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 F word, the full stack developer. And I think that that's a very uh, interesting concept that is thrown in the IT community, right? And I don't, I don't, I I believe that there's not one answer to what a full stack developer is, because a full stack developer can be, you know, one thing for me, but a different thing for for someone else. And also, I think. Uh, if you work in consultancy you know where you uh, sell full stack developers i believe that that is you know very um, say uh, very like um, misleading in a way because i believe that the the customer that buys a full stack developer expects one thing but when you put out the ad saying ah oh, we have a full stack developer that means something else for, for you as a consulting firm, and maybe it means something else for the actual developer. Because I believe that everyone has one thing that they like to do more or that they're better at. I I have a really hard time seeing that, you know, I'm great at everything. I, I have not met that person.
3: I want to pick up on another thing that you you said, there, Roy, um on good enough, and actually that triggered a few thoughts in in my head now. Thinking of data and analytics, um, this again, 15, 20 years ago, this was a nice to have function within any organization. Now it's a must have if you want to survive as a as a company. So, thinking of the evolution as a as a topic as as a field, it has increased exponentially, I would say. And I think with that also increase the expectations. So I think we are no longer in a world in, in in which we need to be good enough. We are in a world in which if we want to use data to monetize, to activate, to to drive better decision making, we have to excel at it. It's not enough to be good enough.
0: Thank you so much. I have a question and it's based on it's based on Rui's question and a point made by Roo earlier on but the question is ba- is aimed at everybody so if we go back to earlier on when we were talking about building trust as a leader and it was it was the case that if you don't have technical knowledge you're not going to be able to have the trust of the technical people within your team then if you are often now as leaders you are managing cross-functional teams and if we're looking at everybody having segmented knowledge um where how do we grow the leaders, if the leaders should be able to speak the language of everybody.
3: Continuous education. It's uh—it's one of the things that we absolutely need to have as leaders. We need to ensure that we, we stay up to date with, with the field, with what's happening. And that doesn't mean that we need to become experts in each and every single one of these roles. But we need to understand how they are evolving as well. We need to understand what are the challenges of the people that are doing, with what are the new technologies, and for that there are lots of ways to do it there are there are articles there are conferences that we need to attend there are courses free or we, we need to pay for it it's it's all about continuous education
2: yeah i would uh, i would just point on that one as well uh, it's continuous learning uh, you need to keep growing uh, growing as a leader and uh, learning about uh, what is happening in your field you don't need to be specialized you don't need to be certified like I did in the beginning of my career, um, but that was something that I wanted to do at that time. I wanted to really drill down technically and uh, and uh, feel that accomplishment, but I don't think I need that now. What I need now is to at least understand what is happening. Uh, I'm... Probably more within the data engineering side than uh, knowing about the data analyst and uh, or a, a data scientist. But I need to be able to to understand what people are talking about when they are talking about. I need to know what uh, what the regression is at least uh, when someone is uh, trying to to explain an analysis to me. Uh, so I think it's uh, it's important um, to to be within top. So. Continuous learning is, is the best way.
1: Yeah, I, I believe that, I mean, this is part of our job to support uh, the people in our team. Uh, so I think valid points from both Adina and Rui saying like we need to learn, we need to go out to take, you know, seminars, courses or whatever the options are, right? But also talk to the specialists we have in our team. I mean, they they are the specialists or for a reason, right? And if we talk to them, we also learn from them. And in in that way, we also understand what they're doing and, and that we can support them in a better way. Because even though we take all these courses, they are very general, right? So I think talking to, to the people, to the specialists in our team gives us a deeper view into what their actual problems are, right? And then we can adapt the the knowledge we have from the courses to their specific needs.
3: I love what you're saying there, Tommy, um, because if if we talk to them, we also contribute in building the trust. You can easily go to your specialist and say, hey, I, I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but I want to learn. Help me out. Give me a few indications on which are the things that I need to learn or what do I need to do for me to get better at understanding what you're doing
0: thank you so much everybody and to tie i think i have one more question that will tie up the discussions very nicely and please give please in one short answer what would be to tie this up together what would be the most important skill for you to have as a leader if you could only have one important skill
1: in one word communication i think that is key awesome really
2: so i would say be a good listener uh, you have two years and only one mouth. Use it in those proportions.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. And Edina?
3: Translator, we are in a sweet spot between our technical teams and the business. We need to be able to be bilingual there. We need to speak both languages.
0: That's awesome. Thank you all so much for your time today. I have learned lots. I hope that you guys have learned lots from each other. And I'm sure to you that are listening, you've also learned lots. This has been such a valuable and such an enjoyable discussion. So just thank you one more time to Riri, Adina, and Tommy for your time today. Um, I've been Joshua Asquith, and you can find me at on LinkedIn, Josh Asquith. Thanks very much and have a good day.